the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. This was an interesting weekend. What do I mean by that? I think a lot of us sat at home and looked at Texas and went, huh. And we looked at the weather in the winter and how their power went down. We might have watched Saturday Night Live and made fun of the people from Texas, or we might have tuned into CNBC or CNN or MSNBC or Fox Business or Fox News and saw different angles presented, right? I, I kind of want to write a commentary about where you live is going to affect your finances and your 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 view of finances. Um, recently, I've been reading a string of blogs by a man who left the Bay Area and moved to Austin, Texas. I'm like, I, I can't wait to read his blog because now he's dealing with the blackout. In the past months, he's getting heavy readership across the United States. Um, he's been scrutinized. Uh, for some of the things he said and some of his naivety, like he picked a suburb in Austin that is really football obsessed and he didn't realize that was going to affect his children's schooling. He didn't realize that Texas is a really hot state and for two months of the summer you have to leave because it's, it's so scorchingly hot. This is in his words. <clears throat> he didn't realize that yes, there would be some cheaper costs, but there would be some more expensive costs like that air conditioning or planning a two-month vacation to escape the heat that you didn't have to do in the Bay Area. He talked a lot of the pros and cons. What he ultimately said was he was a bit naive. He made a rash decision based on headline news. California's expensive, heavily taxed state, um, high incomes. He replaced his high income in San Francisco with a slightly less income in Austin. In the end, I think his bottom line is 2,400 square feet is better than 800 square feet. His cash flow let him spend about $3,000 a month on housing, and he wanted more housing than less housing as far as size and space goes, but there's some trade-offs with it. So I'm going to throw it down there for you. Start, let's have a philosophical show one day. Not today. I got other stories that I want to get to, but let's have a philosophical look at some of our predetermined thoughts and some of our rash decisions. And I, I can tie his rash decision to leave in his own words, not mine. I'm not saying that he made a mistake. He's saying I was a bit naive. <clears throat> let's tie that with like 25 years ago, I come to the Bay Area and I saw a lot of people who were wealthy because their mom and dad bought real estate. One of my good friends in radio is a lady named Kim. She's no longer in radio, and no one knows who she is. But she lives with her mom and dad, and she's probably mid-40s now. 
And what's interesting is at one point in time, I was like, you want me to come pick you up? Like we're going for beers or we're going to a concert or something. I don't know. And she was mortified at the idea of me seeing her space. Mortified. Her dad was a big fan of mine. You know, I helped give him financial advice through email and stuff like that. I was like, I'd like to meet your dad kind of thing. Like I'm not against it. She was mortified. And the more I learned that they would become hoarders and that she wouldn't let any of her friends into her living space. Some were like, how much of it is really a living space if you're not even able to use it? Now, I know I get that it's free rent. And trust me, free rent is an amazing thing. And there's been stories in the last 20 years about how the millennials, all they've seen is one big recession after another big recession. And that many of them have you know, not found the job market as alluring, as promising to them as their college degree costs were. So they go back to live with mom and dad for a bit. And then we start doing stories about, well, if you're living with mom and dad, you're probably not, for lack of a better word, making babies. And if you're not making babies, you're not getting married. If you're not getting married, you're not looking for a bigger house. If you're not looking for a bigger house, then you're hurting the economy. You're not participating in the economy. I'm going to have no problem with millennials living at home. I think it's a great thing. I question the woman who's 45, though. Never been married. Was that a choice or was that just uh, I have free rent versus a man to settle down with? And I think it's a really good question. <clears throat> when I got to the Bay Area, I got hate Working at Channel 4 Cron in TV, I'd say things like, real estate's great, but it's not the only investment out there. But to some people, it's the only investment. And the big philosophical show that I want to do with you is, can we break some of our stereotypes and can we break some of our rash decisions and try to think more intelligently about finances? The man who went to, he moved his, his family to Austin because of the headline news, he regrets it. He says, I was a little bit naive. I should have spent a little bit more time. <clears throat> And now he's going through his first – he had rolling blackouts in California in 2000. Then he had wildfire blackouts um, in California. Now he's got ice blackouts in Texas. Like, whoa. Um, but I, I want people to question their, their thoughts. You know what's honest? I like a little bit of Bitcoin. I like a little bit of real estate. I like a little bit of stock market. I like a little bit of cash. I'm not big into annuities. That have high costs. I can I can write down the stuff that I've I've developed opinions on over my lifetime, and I don't really love one group or hate one group. To me, for instance, I just said annuities. I don't really like, but there are some low cost annuities that make a lot of sense. I've got a level of wealth that's probably a little bit more than yours. For sake of this example, it's a little bit more structured. I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. I've got some money that I can dip into if I were to lose a job. I got some money that I could dip into if there's an emergency. I've got some money. Like I've I've got some plan Bs, plan Cs, and plan Ds. <clears throat> but we're all different. And the one thing that I'm I think I'm most proud of with me is that I don't really hate real estate. I like if you listen to enough real estate radio shows or podcasts or TV commercials, you're going to see that some people love stocks. Some people love growth stocks and they hate everything else. Some people love real estate and they hate everything else. <clears throat> I like the let's get rich slowly by accumulating all the assets. Eh, some assets like baseball cards I'm not into. But <clears throat> listening to the Howard Stern show recently, there's a, for lack of a better word, a character on the show named J.D. Harmeyer. And he actually goes out and I don't get it. 
um, he'll spend $800 on a weekend of buying what could be a rare baseball card. Unopened packs of baseball cards that we know that one in a million is a Barry Bonds rookie card or something like that. I don't even quite get it. But he's instead of putting that money into the stock market, which doubles every 7.2 years, historically speaking, he's taking that $800 and it's like scratchers to me. I don't invest in lottery tickets. Like, do you? Some people do. Or at least that's their thought. <clears throat> so at some point down the road, I do want to have a great show where we question our approaches philosophically to finances and financial ideas that we both agree with and disagree with. Um, I would like it much, much more if everyone was a little bit more even keeled versus demanding to be right. But that's just me. So Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, buying into a Jay-Z company, a Jay-Z brand, a champagne brand. How is that man so blessed? Everything him and his wife touch turns into billions of dollars. I think he has a secret. He's appealing to a lifestyle, a rapper lifestyle for, I don't know his brand well enough to say that, but live large, live big, live fun, live sexy. Anyway, we'll talk a little Louis Vuitton, Moe, Hennessy, and much, much more. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So this is Machine Gun Kelly. And I like to weave a little bit of music into the show. I've got a 10-year-old. And uh, I really believe music influenced my life huge i'm not sure about you but it definitively changed my life uh, pretty dramatically as a kid i'd lock myself in the room and listen to the top five at ten uh countdowns like i love hockey because the the announcers i watched a documentary on uh doc emmerich who's covered hockey for years and years and years and just retired last year like i get it i i, I get anyway i have a love affair with radio and i think you can hear it right now on I'm talking on radio for some reason because let's just say I'm not getting paid millions and millions of dollars to do it, but I like the medium. So Machine Gun Kelly is something, um, as a dad, I want to hate him. He looks like a jerk. He acts like a jerk. He, you know, gets drunk before he goes on late night television. Like it, there's no role model there that I like, but man, the guy can make a catchy song right now. And, his Valentine's, Day, his Valentine's Day song, his tribute to Megan Fox, whatever you want to call it, um, he's repulsive on so many levels to my eyeball, and yet his music kind of connects with me. I don't know, wait, what do you make of that? I'll let you get figure that one out yourself. But his real name's Colson Baker. He's not Machine Gun Kelly. I don't know if he's a rapper, a songwriter, an actor, a singer. Um. You figure it out. You get back to me. But I'm not offended by him. On the on the front end, I was. But then I, as I got to know the music, I'm like, I think he's worth the best. I think that's the hit of the year. That song that we just played in. Um, with that said, listening to his catalog with my boy, I was like, there's a lot of disappointing music there. But we'll see. Maybe his next album will be the crossover hit that kind of defines generations. 
Anyhow, and anyway, speaking of crossover hits, Apple's reclaiming the global smartphone lead ahead of Samsung for the first time since 2016. Apple makes really expensive devices. Um, so they don't necessarily have to have the, the top market share. Apple shipped more smartphones in the fourth quarter of 2020 than any other company, including rival Samsung. This is a, a, tied to a, a report that I read this weekend from Gartner Research. Gartner is the kind of stuff that I pay premium money for so that I can get premium information that most people would be like, I'm not going to pay $1,200 for a subscription. I will. Apple has been on the top since 2016 for the first time back on. And again, to me, like that's profitability. Apple's iPhones weren't even on sale for the entire quarter, and they got back on the top of volume. They've already been on the top of margins on their phones. Now volume, 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 which is the trick to real estate. <laughs> no, no, it's location, location, location. But when you're a company that makes gadgets, we can call them widgets. And you make a million of them, we're impressed. But when you're making 80 million of them, we're like, whoa, okay, wait, wait. If they make $400 on each phone, what's the difference between 80 million and 81 million? It's all bottom line. Apple's been on top since 2000, uh, first time on top since 2016. Strong holiday quarter, 5G, new phones. Uh, but I think the true story here is, is that Apple is the king of the supply chain. When the pandemic hit, they made sure they had the resources and the materials to make their product. Give them credit for that. Inside the Gartner report, there was a line that I under there was a line that I highlighted. Really simple line. Apple weathered the coronavirus pandemic better than its smartphone competitors. That's management to me. Success or failure starts at the top. The 49ers were a great franchise when they had an owner who said, all I want to do is win. I'm going to hire the brightest people and I'm going to let them do their jobs. I'm going to pay them as much as they want and let them do their jobs. I'm going to stay out of it. I'm not going to try to be a general manager. Success or failure starts at the top. He said, here's the blank check. And again, I don't know my San Francisco 49er history well enough, but I'm thinking that's probably Eddie DeBartolo. And then you look at the GM and you look at the coaches and, the, you know, not one coach, but like four coaches from that era, all in the Hall of Fame. Success or failure starts at the top. You can say all you want about Joe Montana, but he sucked when he was a Kansas City Chief. Now the Chiefs have a good organization, but that's a different time, right? And again, my knowledge is very, very limited. But success or failure starts at the top. And when you look at Apple, are you giving them credit for management or are you giving them credit for their phone? Um, one of the research reports that I read this weekend talked about how Apple is now letting people unlock their payments. So you go to do Apple Pay, contactless, great thing during the pandemic, right? But they're now letting people unlock their phone without taking off their mask. If you want to use your watch or if you want to use a side button on the phone to prove that it's you, they don't want someone stealing your phone and going off and doing a spending spree. But they're trying to figure out ways to authenticate you one step further than their competition. And I like that. It's not resting on your laurels. Um, 
and the security group that did their research on the activating your payment through your watch so you don't have to take your mask off, they said this is this is valuable. It's tough for you and I to quantify that value though, right? Um, so let's just throw that out there. Apple's secret might be their management, their secret weapon. Having enough supplies to get through a pandemic. That's pretty impressive to manage the supply chain. We saw pork shortages in 2020 because people would get the COVID and be taken out of work. We saw factories shut down for weeks on end. The fact that Apple was able to, to get through, and again, you're probably saying, well, that's because they're evil. <laughs> There's probably some truth to that. There's some truth to that. Anyhow, uh, how about the Boeing? Is this going to be another issue for them? Over the weekend, I think we all saw the highlights or maybe a low light. I don't know how what you're looking at, but a United flight leaving Denver, a whole engine fell off, caught on fire and just broke into pieces. And it looks pretty horrific. And I give my producer this morning, Andrew, a ton of credit because he has the funny line of the day. He goes, if I was on that plane, I would have looked at my spouse and I would have said, sorry, and I would have passed out. And to me, that's hilarious because I would do that too. I'm actually kind of calm with death. I've been in some pretty harrowing airplane situations, um, which is kind of insane to say that I've been in three aborted landings that were very problematic. Um, I've had pilots miss the runway. I've had pilots take seven shots at, at a safe landing. Not one, seven. The weather was that kind of rough. But let's give Boeing some credit. That plane stayed in the air. How is that possible when you look at the video of that engine? And what are our regulators taking pictures of when they take a picture of an engine part on the ground? What do they see that I don't see? And that would have been me on the plane. Or someone. I would have had a good sense of humor about dying. Anyhow, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Ace of Spades. I mean, when you figured out the, the story, I'm playing one of those game shows where I give clues and you see if you can't blurt out the right answer. Ace of spades. Got it yet? <clears throat> probably not. Sean Carter. Sean Carter, ace of spades. Ding, 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 ding. You've probably matched in your head right now. Jay-Z. Jay-Z is selling part of his stake in, and I don't know how to say this, Armand. The Brignac Champagne, which I've got a really odd memory. I remember things very emotionally. And I remember many, 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 many years ago, Jay-Z was kind of like the king of rap. Like, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing his music. And his music videos were fun and sexy and playful. And typically featured things like champagne and good-looking dancing women. Lifestyle right so big news this morning when he shows up on cnbc to talk about selling his armol de Bignac, um champagne brand to louis vuitton moe hennessy 
And you cannot get more different people than when you get the CEO of Louis Vuitton on with the CEO, Jay-Z, and his brand, which is unbelievable. But it, it, you look at it and you go, whoa, those are two different people from two different worlds. But do you remember why Jay-Z got into Armand de Bugnac Champagne? He bought a 50% stake in 2006, then he bought the rest of the company in 2014. Now he's selling half the company to Louis Vuitton. Do you remember why he did that? There was an executive at Cristal who basically didn't like the hip-hop culture. He didn't like seeing African-American men partying on yachts with champagne. And he was dumb enough to say it out loud. Not only dumb enough to have those opinions, who cares what people consume and how they consume it? It's none of your business. But to say it out loud. So Jay-Z's like, oh yeah? I'll never bring up Cristal again. You can keep it under your perfect uh, brand. Don't want it. I'll work my own magic. So he comes out, gets into the, uh, the business. 2020 hits. And what do we remember about the pandemic? Well, we weren't having parties anymore. We weren't having dinner parties. We weren't going to parties. We weren't hanging out with friends. We weren't celebrating big on New Year's. So you could probably assume correctly that sales of champagne fell pretty aggressively. Uh, 20% by volume, that's a big number. Uh, I'm not here to do a whole segment on Jay-Z and the whole, if you want to invest Maybe look at a Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy. Take a look at the ticker symbol LVMH um, and take a look at their brands. It's crazy, the brands that Louis Vuitton manages. Um, take a look at the stock. Take a look at the stock on a 10-year basis, 20-year basis, 30-year basis. And on those years, try to add some things like um, 9-11. Just in your head. Just make a mental note of the big stock market correction in 2020. Take a look at 9-11. Take a look at the housing recession, the Great Recession. Take a look at different areas. And I think what you're going to see is it held up incredibly well. Luxury does good in good economies. It does good in bad economies. Not always. Not forever. Um, But as an investment, it's not a bad idea. It cuts down a little bit on your risk. Um, and again, take a look at their brands and ask yourself, do you know anyone who's ever bought like a coach? Coach isn't Louis Vuitton. You may scale back on your coach purses during a recession, but you're not scaling back on your, your easy luxury sales is what I'm getting at. So that, there's an investment lesson there. Just take a look at LVMH. Consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks. I own no LVMH, but I understand the case for owning it. And I'm sharing that with you because I think it's a good story. Another good story out on almost the same exact angle is tied towards celebrity vodka or celebrity tequila. And this weekend, one of the Kardashians got into, um, how shall we say, People saying, well, why is a Kardashian doing tequila? Isn't tequila kind of like property of Mexico? Like they've done a lot of research on it. It seems to be their heritage. It's like 
And people got mad at Kendall Jenner because as a very rich person, she is continuing to slap her name on products and then oddly two or three years later selling them a lot like Jay-Z. Everything they touch turns to gold, right? Both of them. So, but people got mad at Kendall Jenner this weekend saying like, why is this LA girl all about tequila? Does she really need that extra push of cash? Probably not. Is it any of my business? No. People are cringing, thinking that she's going to give tequila a bad name. But here's where we got into a little bit of drama this weekend. Calling out a Kardashian for starting a tequila brand and saying, basically, you're an American. You shouldn't do that. We didn't get mad at George Clooney or Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Nick Jonas, Randy Gerber. Celebrity after celebrity after celebrity have come up with tequilas and made billions selling them to bigger brand, uh, bigger companies that can distribute them better. Um, I don't get it. I don't go, you know, sugar booger, what do you want to do this weekend? You want to get smashed on some tequila? Oh, let's do the Kendall Jenner tequila. <laughs> that celebrity endorsement doesn't do anything for me, but I get it. And people got mad at her for, again, appropriating but I don't get it. I don't think it's fair because Clooney did the same exact thing. But Clooney's Clooney. I, I will say this. Kendall Jenner is a little obnoxious. I can do without the bragging for f- almost four years. I've been on a journey to create the best tasting tequila. That was her Instagram post. For almost four years, I've been on a journey. Uh, I think you, you slapped your name on it. Do you know another person who gets a lot of credit for being a business genius? But really isn't. And all you're doing is slapping your name on something. That's the genius is Trump. He doesn't own hotels. He slaps his name on hotels. He doesn't own offices. He slaps his name on office buildings. So another person who is in this business of licensing, very profitable business, um, who am I trying to think of right now? I'm gonna, I, I know where my next twist in this angle goes. Oh, I dropped it. Dang it. I should have taken some notes. Um, but slapping your name on something is kind of genius if you can pull it off. Because you don't have the developer cost. A couple of years ago, you might remember before Trump was president, there was a big lawsuit in Florida about a development that never got developed. But people put money down. And they were suing him, and he's like, I'm not the developer. I'm just, I license my name to them. Pretty genius, right? Um, licensing is a business model. And I'm not going to knock it. I'm going I'm to look into it a little bit more for you. There's a company I talked about a little bit with the same idea last week, but it really, the story came together when you could add Kindle Jenner into it. <clears throat> it's Qualcomm. And they've got a lot of intellectual property, um, IP technology. Um, and let me just give you like this. This is a made up example, but they've got a lot of patents on things like the word cell phone. And you're like, how do you have a patent on the name cell phone? Well, they were the first one in the patent office saying one day we'll have devices a lot like they had in Star Trek. that can talk to each other and we'll call it a cell phone. And anytime someone uses the name cell phone, we're going to get the money for it. We're going to get a, We're going to license it or we're going to sue them. Uh, if you've ever been to a kid's preschool, pre-kindergarten, 
kind of time, you'll see a lot of Disney characters painted on the wall. <clears throat> and Disney used to police that really aggressively. They're like, well, anytime you paint Mickey on a wall, we want to get two cents. Or since it's already there, we want to sue you for $200 million. And the, the pre-kindergarten is like, well, we better paint over it because <laughs> we don't have $200 million. And you're like, Disney's an evil company. <clears throat> Do you know who's big into licensing? Jeannie Schultz. And I know you're saying Jeannie Schultz, Jeannie Schultz, Jeannie Schultz. Think Snoopy. And every now and then you turn on the TV and you see Snoopy walking around with that bird Woodstock, which for the record, some people love and adore Charlie Brown. I don't get it. I found those kids to be miserable. I found them to be horrible children. And I, I didn't enjoy their stories as, as they didn't relate to me. And the dog wasn't, he was, he was good. He wasn't, the sa- he wasn't enough of a saving grace for a friend named Pigpen or a pal named Pigpen who was so dirty he had flies hovering around his body. But licensing is wildly profitable. To this day, Snoopy makes millions and millions to the tunes of $100 million being licensed for commercials. Where you're like, oh, I need car insurance. Snoopy's a good person to trust. <laughs> and you're like, okay, it doesn't even make any sense. But licensing is a very big uh, business model. And we, I guess if I were to wrap this up, again, it's not a great segment. My mom died a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I'm not really finding my stories like I used to. But um, Qualcomm, licensing is very profitable. Labor is very expensive. License is very profitable because you cut the labor out. Slapping your name on something, I'm not going to knock it. I think it's genius. If you can get away with it, do it. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Had an odd conversation this weekend with my spouse. Uh, I'm processing the death of my mother. I've now lost both parents. Uh, so in theory, the torch has been completely passed. I think I became a better man when my dad passed 25 years ago. Um, but my moral compass is gone. Like, and I said it in a funny way on Friday that I'd now view my parents as like star Wars ghosts and you're going, what? So my dad was Darth Vader. He was an evil man who had a good redemption. My mom was Yoda. Um, she loved me unconditionally. My spouse asked me, she goes, who in your life? has been the person who, who supports you other than your mom. And you're not allowed to use business examples either. Like there was a guy in TV who helped me. There was a guy in radio who helped me. And like, I couldn't come up with a name. So I, I kind of got a little depressed this weekend. I was like, I think I'm a little morally bankrupt. I think I'm a little socially bankrupt. I think, uh, like I don't have good people in my life. And I know you're saying, where's this going? Nowhere. <laughs> it goes nowhere. The story goes nowhere. Um, other than to say I'm processing a lot right now, stories aren't as good as they could be. Investment ideas aren't as, as sharp, but I do have a relationship with you, the audience that I really enjoy. Um, so let's go with that. Um, what's happening on the markets right now? Markets are a little bit lower and I've been a little bit checked out 
Not completely, but a little bit. But one thing I did notice last week was the treasury yield hitting 1.31% on the 10-year. This is big. A couple months ago, we were down to 60 basis points. One basis point. Um, it takes 100 to make 1%. So a 2% move is 200 basis points, right? We've rallied from 60 basis points, which is a little bit more than half, but less than 1%, right? It's rallied all the way up to 1.3%. <clears throat> and today the markets are pulling back. And the only thing we could look around and explain, because we like to look around and explain, is that it's it's the yields that are moving. That smart money is now starting to say, big tech, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, Alphabet, they're not going to be able to borrow money for free. 60 basis points is almost free in my mind. To, to earn that back is easy for those companies. And to pay down debt that's at higher levels or to build buildings – um, to expand their businesses, to get more factories, borrowing cheap money has been a big stimulus for their business models. And the cheap money, the incredibly cheap money has gone. Now it's becoming cheap money. Somewhere around 25 3%, you're going to see the market grind lower again. Somewhere around 35 4%, you're going to see the market grind even lower. Because the yield tends to move up with expectations on economic growth, we don't need the cheap money. Therefore, we can make a little bit more money lending it. Um, and it will be stimulus enough right there in the economy. But it's also tied towards inflation. And inflation's not sexy. I can't make it sexy in any way, shape, or form. The only thing I could do is give you that example that I keep giving. That when I was a kid, a Coca-Cola was 25 cents. And I remember my mom you know, fussing through her purse. Oh, I pulled up a mom story. To dig out a quarter for me because I had to have my sugar. <laughs> I didn't know it was all sugar. I was stupid. Um, I was naive, but I had to have it. I didn't realize I was being manipulated by the Coca-Cola company, which I think is a great long-term investment. Um, <clears throat> because they make stuff that people consume around the world. I'm talking about my 401k. Um, I'll look for more value. I'll look for areas that have underperformed, like financials, that will do well with inflation. That will do well with higher interest rates. Um, they'll make more money. And will I pair back on my Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, and Alphabet? Maybe not the individual holdings, but the concept that that should be my next investment. That idea will start to fade and it will start to be replaced with, well, Bank of America is looking pretty sexy right now or Goldman Sachs. Um, the cheap money is an issue and Wall Street's starting to figure that out right now. Also on Friday, we got Janet Yellen saying, the sky is falling. The sky is falling in the economy. And if we don't get stimulus and we don't go big, our economy is at risk of losing more jobs and not recovering as it should. So I think the banter on last week turned into stimulus is going to be bigger than we want or bigger than expected, which should create inflation, which should push the interest yields even higher. It should. Not necessarily well. Should. In the end, we're data-driven. And if the employment numbers stay bad, then we'll say, well, people won't be able to afford cars. Therefore, car companies don't need to go buy steel. Therefore, steel companies are going to start discounting the prices to try to get some uh, demand artificially stimulated. 